fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. Thirty something movie podcast. So I was trying to turn down the volume, but my, my scissor hands got in the way. Um, did I tell you guys that my daughter, um, Nora, 10 years old, she found it was either a podcast or she found the audiobook version of a book series that I had read when I was a little kid um, growing up in Texas. And of course, this book series started in Texas uh, called Hank the Cowdog. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those books. Okay. Really fun books. Like, you know, good, good books for, you know, about, yeah, probably about that age, like nine, 10 years old, maybe. Um, and what she found, she's like, she's like, dad, um, the, the narrator I think is from Texas. Like the, the guy who reads the audiobook, I think he's from Texas and he kind of like, I remember his voice from somewhere. And I said, well, what's his name? It's like Matthew Mc, Mc something. <laughs> and I said, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> that's, that's what I said. I said, Matthew McConaughey. She's like, yeah, that's it. And I, and she's like, yeah, I, I feel like I, I've heard his voice before. I said, let me try something because I know she listens to some of the episodes. I said, let me try something for you. All right, all right, all right. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. She's like, you know what would be even funnier? And, and then she goes, she's like, you know what would be even funnier? If it was the other guy. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> At all. Arnold Schwarzenegger reading yeah. Hank the Cow Dog. Hank the Cow Dog, yeah. That's become that, like her favorite, one of her favorite things now. That's is like, awesome. Is like if, if she's like disagreeing with something, it's, just, it's not a tumor. At all. That's so cool. Like I'm so glad I've taught you that. <laughs> you, that's when you know you've done your job well. Parenting 101. All right. Well, gentlemen... I, I don't know if you know this, but um, you remember how like there was this huge buildup to like us finishing in finishing the 80s and moving into the 90s. And um, yeah. yeah, well, we're in December now, so we're almost done with 90. Yeah, crazy. We got like this one and, and like what, three episodes left and then we're in 91. 91. Happy New Year. Mm hmm. So, yeah. So this is our first episode of December. Um, December, 2020, if you're listening to this at some other time, but yeah, so we're, we're on our last month of 1990. So we're going to close the year out with these episodes. Uh, we've got, so this one is Edward Scissorhands. And then as we, uh, as we go through the rest of this month, we've got Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, uh, pump up the volume and teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. 
our uh-huh. December Patreon exclusive. Uh, we're still kind of working out the details of that one. So hopefully that ends up being the one that we do uh, for December for the Patreon exclusive is The Sure Thing uh, starring John Cusack from 1985. Um, cool. Hoping to have a guest host on that one. And then uh, if you're looking ahead, because now we're into we're into 91. So if you're looking ahead, our first month of 91 is our Heroes Month. And we've got The Rocketeer, got <laughs> Double Impact, <laughs> Backdraft. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, finally. Done. Finally. And then uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Gosh. So. Months that things shouldn't be allowed to exist. And I just realized, like I did not plan this out, but I just realized between November when we when we talked about the uh, Ninja Turtles concert mm-hmm. and December where we're going to talk about the first Ninja Turtles movie and then January Ninja Turtles 2. What is so interesting about that is we lived it. Yeah. I don't remember them coming out that close together. They were I mean they were definitely within a year of each other, but I mean right. yeah, which is all crazy that. Yeah. when you think about it. Right. I mean in today's world, sometimes you're waiting two years for the second part of a movie. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I and I vividly remember all the Ninja Turtles stuff. As a, I was a huge Ninja Turtles fan. Had the toys, had the trading cards from the cartoon, watched the cartoon, played the video game at Walmart. Um, okay. You know, read the comics. Read. Uh, you know what? No, I actually did not read the comics as much as a kid. So here's the funny thing, because you read, you guys read comics as a kid, yes or yeah. no? Mm-hmm. I did not read comics. I only read comics that my buddy Kevin would feel like, oh, you got to check this one out. Mm-hmm. Wolverine's my guy. Oh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I read those comics. Nice. Like, I have them all. I've got the graphic novels. When Dominic's maybe a little older, I'll let him read the graphic novel. Like, mm-hmm. I dig Teenage Mutant. Isn't that funny? Like, yeah. that's like, I, I, I don't read comics, but I read those comics. Yeah. No, I, I had pretty much everything. I lived and breathed everything else Ninja Turtles, but did not have the comics, did not read the comics. Yeah. Yeah. The, the games were great. Yeah. Even, even the non-arcade version of the Nintendo game mm-hmm. of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was great. Yep. Had that one, had the Game Boy version. Yep. Yep. So. Heroes on yeah. the half shelf four in this day and age, who could ask for more? Prime wave is high. <laughs> Mugging's mysterious. I may have already watched it. Have you? Okay. So, <laughs> like a big yeah. girl in a trench coat. In a trench coat. <laughs> Going to LaGuardia here, aren't you? <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, and we, t- we got to do Edward Scissorhands first. Right. Oh. <laughs> I thought we were doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, I'm sorry, man. That's, that's, at the that's, end, that's the end of this month. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Soon, Pat. We'll get there. Soon. When will then be now? Exactly. Soon you know. then will be now. <laughs> yeah. God, can it please be? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, 2020, well, 2020 needs to be over. Let's get out of here. At least, at least we're talking about like a really great movie. It would have been a hard, yeah. that would have been a hard letdown if it was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I'm sorry, Pat. We're talking about the Jesus Rolls. Oh, well, well, God. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. You know, I was going to bother. Nope. <laughs> no. Okay. Just go Do back. I give that one a hard pass? Yes, hard pass. Just hard pass. Go, go watch Bo's favorite gift for like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's better. It's, it's more enjoyable. <laughs> Got you'll, it. You'll get more it out was, of it. <laughs> I, I, I get it was a passion project and whatnot, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how, 
How did someone green light that? Mm-hmm. Maybe you should be passionate about other things. Mm-hmm. We're here uh, for Edward Scissorhands. So uh, very quick warning. We do spoil the movies we talk about. We're just going to, we talk freely. So just, you know, be aware of that. Um, and then visit our website, 30podcast.com. That's three zero and the word podcast.com. Uh, you can rate the show, leave a voicemail, uh, become a co-executive producer via Patreon. Uh, if you so desire. Um, we, we've got several supporters on there now and we do a special monthly episode and there's other, you know, benefits to the, uh, you know, to the different tiers, uh, depending on how much you choose to support us in that way, but support us at any level and you'll get access to those, um, special monthly members only episodes. Um, I always worry about every time I say benefits, I'm like, it's like a podcast with benefits because that doesn't sound awkward or I just, (laughs) or I just made it awkward. (laughs) Is that one of those things where it wasn't awkward until I said it was? Well, who cares? It's awkward now. Just go it's, with it's it. It's awkward now. Right. <laughs> it's late at night. I'm having to like edit myself right now. There's a lot I could have said. I'm just- we, we are the awkwardly placed hand on your shoulder. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm a fan of the Keanu Reeves hover hand technique. I'm okay. just saying. Okay. All right. That's fine. All right. Well, before we get to anything else, um, this month in 90. So we're going to jump in the DeLorean, head back to head back about 30 years to December of 1990. Uh, mm-hmm. So just got a couple things real quick. Some, uh, some news of some things that were happening in December of 1990, uh, a, a famous, a celebrity death, um, the top book, top movie, top song in that time. So very, very quickly. Uh, this month in 90, December 1st, British and French workers meet in the English Channel Tunnel. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, December 20th, world's first website and server at CERN. December 31st, the Sci-Fi Channel begins broadcasting. Excellent. (laughs) Okay. I feel like I remember when that happened. I was like, they have an entire channel with just Sci-Fi. That's amazing. I remember that as well. Yeah. And then years later when it got restyled as sci-fi or with the S-Y-F-Y or whatever. Well, it got restyled as the Sharknado Network. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, and, uh, well, hello. Hello there. Hey guys. Have we here? <laughs> Speaking of creepy. I don't get this thing out of the, you're getting, you're getting the mobile version. So I don't know if I'm going to cut off here or what, but. Uh, are you, um, are you boosting a car right now? <laughs> that's that's kind of what it looks like. You, you're either boosting a car or you're that guy that sits in his car, orders the food from the drive-thru, and then does this whole video on how it tastes and how it's packaged. And Oh, there you go. Hey, hey, you know, Dennis is driving right now doing the Zoom call. I actually have a video uh, set to the Peter Gunn theme of him driving <laughs> practice. At some point, we're gonna, I'm going to have to share this play it for you. Um, yeah, it's during cross country. It was it was quality. It's it's quite an adventure. I'm just saying. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, like when I when uh, we were doing cross country, we'd like see the kids for the first 20 minutes, half, 25 minutes, half hour. Then we send them on a workout. So when we send them on the workout, we're just kind of on our own there for a half hour until they get back. I had to go and drop Hunter off for throwing practice and stuff like that. So I get in the car, hurry up, and try and get back at four o'clock. Not an issue because not that far away from the high school, but still. Well, not the way you treated tr- turn lanes either. It wasn't an issue. <laughs> rules. Who cares about rules? They were made mm-hmm. to be broken. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, man. 
Well, this is fun. They should put so many lines down on the ground if they want to figure out where All right. All right. Well, continuing on December of 1990, uh, we had, I had one death. Well, there's more people that died, but I had one that I wrote down. It was on December 2nd. Uh, Aaron Copeland, who wrote the fanfare for the common man died. Uh, wow. Oh, okay. Wasn't that using an Emerson, Lake and Palmer, um, sound, uh, your, uh, album, I think. Was it? Bo, oh, help me here. Ooh. Fanfares, didn't they do a rock version of that? Um, Sounding like, familiar. I'm going to look it up real quick because I know yeah. I've heard it. And I, I want to say they did like a rock version of that or something, something or an album. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Answer for the common man. Here it is. Yes. Been- My brain is working. <laughs> Somewhat. I was going to say, let's, let's take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, the top book in December of 1990 was The Plains of Passage by Gene M. Owl. Uh, top movie was Home Alone. I think Home Alone pretty much went from, I want to say it went from like November all the way through to almost January of the next year wow. as the top movie for a, a good stretch of time. Um, top songs were I'm Your Baby Tonight by Whitney Houston and uh, Because I Love You, the Postman song by Stevie B. Hmm. All right. Uh, so our movie this time around is Edward Scissorhands. It came out on the 14th of December, 1990, rated PG-13. A runtime of one hour, 45 minutes, directed by Tim Burton, who also did Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, and Batman. Producers were Tim Burton and Denise DeNovi. Uh, Burton did Mars Attacks and Nine. DeNovi did Heathers, Batman Returns, and Ed Wood. Writers for this one were Tim Burton and Carolyn Thompson. Burton did The Nightmare Before Christmas, Frankenweenie. Thompson did The Adams Family and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Cinematography was done by Stefan uh, Shapsky. I probably said that wrong, but uh, who also did Vampire's Kiss, Batman Returns, and Ed Wood. Music was done by Danny Elfman, who did Batman, Beetlejuice, and Mission Impossible. Budget was $20 million. Box office was $86 million. Flick Metrics gives it an 80%, and Cinema Score gives it an A-. Uh, Johnny Depp played Edward. He was in Pirates of the Caribbean, Benny and June, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Winona Ryder played Kim. She was in Beetlejuice, Mermaids, and Stranger Things. Diane Weist played Peg. She was in Footloose, The Lost Boys, and Parenthood. Anthony Michael Hall was Jim. He was in Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, and Weird Science. Kathy Baker was Joyce. She was in Dad and Cider House Rules and Cold Mountain. Robert Oliveri played Kevin. He was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Conchata Farrell, who died in 2020, uh, she played Helen. She was in Mystic Pizza and L.A. Law. Carolyn Aaron was Marge. She was in The Brother from Another Planet and Primary Colors. 
Dick Anthony Williams, who died in 2012, played Officer Allen. He was in The Jerk and Mo Better Blues. Olan Jones played Esmeralda. She was in Married to the Mob and Beethoven. Vincent Price died in 1993. He was the inventor. He was in The Invisible Man Returns, The Fly, and The House on Haunted Hill. And Alan Arkin played Bill. He was in The Rocketeer and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. A scientist, played by Vincent Price, builds an animated human being, the gentle Edward, played by Johnny Depp. The scientist dies before he can finish assembling Edward, though, leaving the young man with a freakish appearance, accentuated by the scissor blades he has instead of hands. Loving suburban saleswoman Peg, played by Diane Wiest, discovers Edward and takes him home, where he falls for Peg's teen daughter, uh, Winona, played by Winona Ryder. However, despite his kindness and artistic talent, Edward's hands make him an outcast. So I'm I'm going to start with a I'm going to start with a statement that um, I don't know might be a little provocative. We'll just see where it goes. Um, I'm going to start with a statement, and I'm going to say that Edward Scissorhands is the most Tim Burton Tim Burton movie. Not fair. You're the host. You get to do that first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have all the control over the microphones. The only, the only thing I can go further than is say to me it's the best Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. Issue well, one. Issue, issue one. Yeah. And I'll go further and say it's the only Tim Burton movie. Bam. That's it. No, I'm not going to say that. I've been talking about 89 Batman for the last 10 years. And I'll go. I can go further hey, and say I'll, it's the only Tim Burton movie. 
Tim Burton, Tim Burton. <laughs> hey, I'm going to go even further. Why is Gamora? Why is Gamora? I know. I know. Oh, man. Pat, I bet I could die for six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I bet you I bet you I can say that this is more of a Tim Burton movie than you for eight minutes. This I bet, ah. I bet I could say this is more of a Tim Burton movie than Tim Burton could. So it's, it's anyway, uh, that's that's my statement. I'm going to make that statement and we can go from there. There's some Tim Burton movies that I saw and there are some Tim Burton movies that I have not seen. And I'm, I'm going to say I'm a first time watcher of this movie, which I thought I had seen it before. Uh, but this was the first time. And um, explain your statement. Like, and I'm just curious, not like challenging it, but like, mm-hmm. like, give me the like, why do you feel that this is the most Tim Burton of Tim Burton's movies? I'm just. Um, and so I'm probably going to trample all over what Dennis was going to say, too. But, um, you know, this is I, I th- to my, to my mind, host after all, that's, I can do whatever I want. Um, I'm editing this thing after the fact anyway. So, yeah, I love you, too, Dennis. Um, really wishes this video podcast that I could actually, you know what? I am recording this. So I've got footage of that now. Ooh, that's going to be fun. Um, you've got stuff on me, too. So it's I can't really use it. This is like the. It's like the USA and the Soviet Union. Um, So the reason why I think this is the most Tim Burton of Tim Burton movies is it's an original story by Tim Burton. Um, You know, he's not adapting something else with Batman. He's adapting something else with um, Alice in Wonderland, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Those movies, he's kind of adapting something else. Um, You know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, he was using a property that already existed. Um, you know, I think Beetlejuice, you could say, is, I'm trying to remember, I, th- I think he wrote Beetlejuice as well, but I, I don't know. It, something about this one, Beetlejuice to me is is kind of a, a straight-up comedy. Like, you know it's a comedy, it's a quirky, weird comedy, it's a Tim Burton comedy, but I don't know. This one, to me, it seems like there's more of Tim Burton's heart and soul poured into this movie. Like it's got more of a message behind it. It's more of that mixture of heartfelt drama. It's also got the comedy in it. Um, If I was going to say that something was the full picture or fuller picture of what Tim Burton wanted to put on screen as part of himself, I would probably say it's Edward Scissorhands. Um, You know, the others are facets. They're bits and pieces of you know, kind of showing you who Tim Burton is as a person, as a director. But I think this one, to me, this one, and Dennis, I see you nodding. Um, to me, I, I think this is the one that gives you the full, complete, most well-rounded picture of who he is as a creator. So that's why, I mean, you you see his visual cues, you see his love for all things gothic, um, you know, the, the quirky sense of humor, um, stripes everywhere. Um, yeah, no. So that's 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 my reasoning behind why I think this is the most Tim Burton of Tim Burton movies. Got it. Yeah, I, I'm going to add, uh, I mean, you perfectly said, I think that's exactly what I was thinking when you made the initial statement, is every other movie that he's done was an existing either character or possible, for the most part. Again, you might be right on Beetlejuice, I'm assuming you are. Um, but this one has, Beetlejuice doesn't have the same, as elements of the heart and soul, like, of like you know, this one just has this classic fable. Feels like a story that was based on an existing fable, but it wasn't. And it's it, like you feel like somehow there is a, a story that had happened with this before he just 
feels that good. Like it's a classic fable that should have been told 50, 100 years ago, almost to a certain degree. It's just that weird world of them, but it captures the charm. I mean, you feel sad during this. It's powerful. I mean, I, I, I just think it's a, it's, it's got a weird quirky humor. It literally is this world that you see sprayed into other stories, you know, when he does, you know, all the other films that he's done. And he has that kind of timbered element to it. But this is where, like you said, where it organically came from. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's why I feel like it's one of his best, best films. Yeah, he. I, I looked really quickly. He did not write Beetlejuice. He had, there were a couple of other writers that wrote Beetlejuice, and he he had some input on what he liked about the scripts and what he didn't like about. The, in fact, I think there were two writers, and I want to say he, if I remember correctly, he replaced one of the writers partway through. Um, and so that one was not one that was written by him. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just. I think the fact that he directed that he wrote this one or co-wrote this one um, just puts more of his heart and soul and person into it. It's like the perfect, perfect Gothic cake. Yeah. Well, it's got, it's got so much of the, you know, take that, that Gothic sense of, you know, what he always likes to put into his movies. And um, my wife too, she even commented, she's like, that's the most Tim Burton staircase I've ever seen. Um, you know, and just all the different, some of the different bits and pieces, like the stuff you tend to, you know, you're going to see, um, when you, you know, when you watch a Tim Burton movie, the, you know, kind of the, sometimes the jarring colors, the, the black and white stripes on things and, um, you know, kind of that, that similar visual piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, that's one of the things I really enjoy about this movie is pulling together a lot of the different Gothic storytelling pieces, um, you know, and, and just the kind of weird juxtaposition of that with the crazy, quirky, colorful, pastel, um, almost like 1950s, don't really know what year this is taking place in, but it looks like like a 1950s subdivision, suburban subdivision somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can see all the stuff that Tim Burton, uh, you know, has kind of colored his design choices and things like that for all the, you know, all the years that he's been doing movies. Um, so much of it is very Gothic and this is probably the most Gothic of his movies too. Maybe even more so than Batman. Yeah. And I'm not, and I, and I think just from a character standpoint, I think one of the ways I can say too, is I, I feel like he's worked with Johnny Depp, obviously a lot. And when I see a lot of those other films, it's Johnny Depp again in a Tim film and you see Johnny Depp there playing a character for the most part. Mad Hat or everything, I see Johnny Depp. And this one, I actually don't see Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. And people will say, like, it looks like, but also, somehow Johnny Depp disappears into this role. It's like a completely different character in terms of, like, I don't see Johnny Depp playing somebody. I see this character and I don't see Johnny Depp in it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he actually, like, is swallowed up by Tim Burton's world and becomes a character that's almost unidentifiable as Johnny Depp or a lot of the other stories, like I said. You can see Johnny Depp playing a character in another Tim Burton film. Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining that the right way, but mm-hmm. that's just, again. Yeah, no. Just, I don't know if it's the makeup. It's not just the makeup. It's just the hair. It's, it's just there's a character, like this original character, that is a Johnny Depp playing a character. It literally becomes it. Kind of like the Heath Ledger, where you can't see Heath Ledger as a joke. Mm-hmm. It's like, meaning, like, you don't see him. You know, I don't see Heath Ledger. You just see the joke. There's not somebody playing the Joker. Mm-hmm. It's the Joker. Yeah. You don't see Johnny Depp playing 
Evans is in hands. It's Edward Scissor's hands. He's his own enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Pat, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about, you know, this being your first time watching. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about that. Like, you know, cause I think for the boat, I'm assuming you've seen this one before. Oh yeah. 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 So, so how'd you like it? I guess. Well, I, I loved it and boy, everything you guys are saying, it just, just makes all the sense in the world. You know what you're saying? And I, I was really, really taken with the movie. I was really taken with the movie and, and it's interesting, Dennis, you know, you mentioned Johnny Depp um, kind of disappearing into the role or, or, or really making this like a unique character. And I, I don't want to paraphrase too much, but that sounded like the gist of what you were saying. And I just hearing him speak because, and maybe I'm used to hearing Captain Jack Sparrow or I'm used to, you know, some of the, the later movies he plays in where his voice, you know, he's altered his voice or it's almost more of a, you know, you know, kind of it's like got like a growl, you know, to it. Um, and some of his later roles in this, he's just he he just sounds like exactly what the character, I guess, would it be. But just a very innocent sounding uh, 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 boy. Right. He's very, and, he's very, um, very timid. Yeah. And um, I liked and you know what? It's, it's funny. Something that stood out that's neither here nor there. But when he would stand there and look at people every once in a while, he'd have the the scissor hands, you know, out to the side and the one of the one or two of the scissors would move kind of like he was twiddling his thumbs or I just thought, I don't know. I don't know why that stood out in my mind, but I just thought that was just kind of a cool, you know, I don't know if he had control over that or if that was something Tim Burton. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it, it just, it just added a lot to the movie. Um, yeah. I was really, really taken with the movie. Um, like I said, a beautiful story. I thought the Danny Elfman score was amazing. That theme is just a, gorgeous theme uh just you know you could listen to that all day uh that and still want to hear more and i thought that um interesting all the vibrant color okay what i thought was somehow he was able to characterize it where in this the gothic in this didn't seem dirty or like evil and demonic in this, the gothic look was almost the pure. And it was the neighbor. And I know that that's probably why he was trying to characterize it. But all the houses with the color and then all the people that live there and everything. That was almost just kind of like, ugh, that kind of gave me a little bit more of the willies. Okay, that gave me made me a little bit more insecure than the gothic. Right. And um and uh, that was that was kind of cool. I, I don't know. Exa- well, I know how he did it. I mean, he, the way he portrayed it. But I mean, just even looking at that town, that was not somewhere that I would have wanted to live. Right. I'd rather have been up in the haunted castle because he made the gothic look clean and pure and the town look, you know. What? Say that mm-hmm. again, Bo? Stepford or, or Pleasant Philly or. Yeah, it was just. Yeah. Um, so anyways, those are my initial reactions, but yeah, it was just a beautiful story. And I I was just struck by the sadness. I mean, I don't want to sit there and just say, oh, it was just so sad, but that was the one emotion that I walked out of it feeling, um, not walked out of it, but I mean, walked away from after seeing it, it was just the, uh, the sadness in the story. So well, what do the uh, what do the Greatest Generation guys always say? If you want to hear what my uh, film analysis paper is about, 
Um, here's my film analysis paper. Uh, the, the title of my film analysis paper for this one is, um, this is the, uh, the prime example of teen angst. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, cause yeah. that, when you look at this and that's, and I'm, and I'm glad you kind of pointed that out. You're like, well, you know, it was the Gothic stuff that actually seemed innocent and pure. And, and normally you think of, you know, authors, especially in Gothic literature would use, castles and like abandoned castles. And they would use a lot of the Gothic stuff to depict decay and the idea of like the decay of society or the decay of somebody's morals or, you know, something like that. But in this story, you've got that, like you said, you've got the almost, uh, but like you put it, the almost Stepford or, or Pleasantville kind of, um, a little subdivision here. And then, and I, I just love the fact that nobody seems to even be bothered by this until, you know, as, as Peg is going down the street and she can't get anybody to buy her Avon products. Um, she's like, well, why not hit up that giant castle? That's at the top of that Hill. That's right at the end of the cul-de-sac. Right. Like as if it's, as if it's not a big deal that that's there. Um, and I do it's as, as a little side thing. I do love the fact that she completely passes by the, uh, overly religious lady to go straight to this creepy Gothic castle. Right. Right. (laughs) She's like, no, I'd rather go there than stop by that one's house. Um, but I think that I think is, is one of the things, um, that I think makes this movie could be popular with any age level. Um, I think is that it's, it's really kind of a look at growing up and a look at maybe some of the emotions and some of the stuff you deal with as a teenager, you know, as you're starting to go from that transition from being a kid to being closer to an adult. Um, and I, I kind of get that feeling that, you know, cause he's very much, you know, the, the, the main characters that you sympathize with in this movie are the kids, you know, it's, it's Edward, it's Kim, it's, you know, it, that's who you're kind of siding with. And the adults are all weird. Like the adults are all these weird creepy, quirky. But the funny thing is any other time you'd look at him as being the weird, creepy, quirky one. Um, you know, that's like if you watched the Frankenstein movie and the villains were, um, you know, a a lot of times we think of the, the Frankenstein's monster as being the villain in the movie, but it's kind of like that, you know, like the end of the movie where it's turned around. It's like, well, no, actually the, the villagers with the pitchforks and the torches, those are, the villains, the monster was just doing, he was just living his best life and, uh, you know, trying to, trying to do what he was created to do. He's just living. He didn't know any better. Um, and I feel like with this movie, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, you've got kids, you've got these teenagers and they're living in this weird Stepford ish, you know, painted fake gossipy subdivision. Um, and the only thing that's kind of good and decent and pure is, Edward, who, you know, looks like he was a member of the X-Men that got created in Victorian England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got that innocence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they all act. And, and, and Pat, you, I mean, you made me, the, 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 when you said about like his hands and how when he's sitting there and there's a lot of silence in him and it's, it, it reminds me a little bit of, and I'm not saying like the, the, the tone of the movie is, but like Wallace and Gromit, you know, the dog speaks and says so much without saying anything. And I think that through his eyes and through the hand gestures with the scissors, all those little nuances of Johnny Depp's performance, it, you know, it like really, he, he acts and says so much, you feel so much without him having to say anything, you know, as he's responding non-verbally to a lot of these different people or in a very humble, quiet way. And it's like, 
you, you feel like his sense of, of everything that he's like going through. I just, I, like I said, I think it's one of the choices. Yeah. And that's a lot. Cause he's got a lot of great performances, but, but I think that acting without speaking is, 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 is tough to do. Well, and then when he does finally say something, it, it carries a lot of weight. You know, in, yeah. in particular, I think of that scene where I mean, we're jumping ahead quite a bit here, but that scene where Winona Ryder, you know, she she tells that she asks him, hold me. And, you know, he, he there's like this a little bit more of an extended pause. And then he just says real quietly, I can't. And just I mean, it, it two words, but they're just there's like so much emotion and there's so much impact behind the I can't. Um, and I think if he was a much more talkative character, then you wouldn't have had that same impact. Yeah. Agreed. The the man of few words. Definitely makes those words more impactful here. And I'm a Boer Pat. I don't remember which one of you said it, but I mean, just the, the movie is, it is heartbreaking. Like it's, there's comedy moments, but it's a heartbreaking movie. Yeah. I mean, your, your heart breaks first for Edward. Cause uh, it's kind of awkward. I mean, he's, he's got scissors for hands. So there's all kinds of interactions that he can't be a part of. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he could hurt or kill someone if he's not careful. And we see that, you know, kind of come about a little bit later in the movie. And um, you know, so that piece of it, it's heart, is heartbreaking. And, you know, then he finally starts to, you know, get people to trust him and, and, you know, allow him into their lives and, and then they all turn on him, you know, towards the end of the movie. And he's, he's treated as a monster again, go, kind of going back to the idea of the Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. So, Bo, you've seen this one several times, you said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could remember why I've seen it so many times. I feel like my mom really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um. I have seen it a lot more than I even realized as I was watching it, I could remember more scenes than I thought I was going to love Diane Weist. Mm-hmm. She just, she's so awesome. It really knows when and how to pull at you just a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. to tweak those, those emotions. And, and it's, it at, at best it's with everything. It's the music, it's the mm-hmm. colors. It's just, he wrote it, he directed it, so I feel like there's some power in that. Because yeah. he's not trying to interpret something else. It was in his head already. I think that's why it all put together so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a, you know, for a first go, not bad, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the music. I wanted to play just the main theme here for just a second.
you just kind of know that that's Edward Scissorhands. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's a sound that you remember if you've seen that movie. And it's very much, I mean, it very much ties into the thought of it being a like a modern fairy tale. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's got, got a little bit of that, like, wintry Christmas feel to it. You, you know, even though most of the movie is not taking place, you know, during wintry Christmas time. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you kind of immediately get that sense of fairy tale. Um, you get it. You get mystical. Yeah. And you get a little bit, and especially that's the, what instrument is that? Is that a, the, the little, the kind of like the, the tingling of the, is that a, um, oh shoot. Is that a celeste? Okay. Harry Potter theme. Yeah. Little tinkling that I'm hearing. Okay. Yes. Well, hopefully. And you get a little bit of that, uh, you know, you get a little bit of that kind of triumphant brass that you get from Batman and and some of the other. And uh, we got a little bit, a little bit of that, uh, yeah, a little bit of that in uh, Dark Man too, I think it was. And yeah, no, it's a fun theme. It's yeah, that Elfman guy, not too bad. Yeah, here and and the way, and I mean, it's some pretty unique themes in there like you'll hear some similarities but like the way he uses his instruments for color you know like mm-hmm. the solo i think it's like the solo oboe that plays the melody and he does something similar at the beginning of, of batman you know that's the you know like it's a and it's either a maybe it's like a an english horn or maybe a lower i don't know if it's an oboe anyways he sticks with like within the double reed family and like you said using the instruments like uh, if we were talking about the same tinkling, the, um, you know, the celeste sound, the way that, you know, just having the people sing in the backgrounds, just even the way he uses the vocals, you know, it adds to a little bit of that, you know, mystical with a hint of the macabre, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not like outright horror, but it's just got the hints of things aren't quite what they seem. So, yeah, he... uh he really brings it with that uh, with that music. So I, I have a question for you, Edward. Is he a person or is he a robot? Because that was kind of a question that came up. Uh, I uh, John didn't stick around for the whole thing, but Nora stuck around. She loved this movie. Um, she really enjoyed watching it with me. Um, and that was kind of something we talked about afterwards. She's like, "So was he a person or was he?" Because I mean, he he got made he got created and he had like a, a cookie for a heart and so what is he I was like, oh, that's a really good question so, so what, do you, what, do you, what do you think is he a is he a person that got created through some whimsical magical means or is he a robot so i've watched too much star trek and, okay. between- oh, and, and and my, my lovely wife just texted and said, uh, for it being 946 at night, uh, you're stirring up a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, 
I was just going to say, I've, I've watched enough. I'm not going to get in in the middle of any marital strife, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I've watched enough Star Trek and between the holographic doctor and data and all that and the measure of a man, he's a sentient being, you know, at that point. And so, you know, that's kind of what I accept. Now, I also accept this movie as fantasy. So, I mean, I, I, I might sidestep that particular minefield um, uh, by, by, you know, by just putting that qualifying statement on there. And judging by the smirk on your face, you're responding to your wife with something. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I can't imagine what what's going back to Mrs. Reed right now. But um, yeah, and so he's a sentient being. And, you know, it's funny because as we're talking and maybe I'm watching this with like the modern lens, but I saw someone that basically grew up without like uh, uh, like parents. Right. And that's why he was so, you know, the physical manifestation of that is, well, my father didn't complete me. I don't have my hands. But it was also like, you know, okay, this is what we many times will see where, you know, kids don't have a home is they maybe, you know, they, but on a, not physically, they don't have hands, but they get out and they don't have all the same social cues or say the same understandings or, so it's almost like that was kind of what I did is like, you know, he's, he just, you know, he just needs a home. He just needs people to take care of him. And it's funny because the family really treated him kind of like a regular person. The kid was like, yeah, you're awesome. You're coming to class. Well, bam. And he's got the knives, you know? And then the dad's just like, yeah, Edward, trim that bush. You know, he was, and it was Ed, Ed. No, his name is Edward. And it was like, okay, I'm just going to treat you like one of the guys. Hey, Ed, you know? Um, so I just saw it as, as that's kind of the, the, the lens I saw it is just that, you know, he and he had these wonderful talents that, you know, the family was teaching him how to be a productive part of society, right? How to fit in. The, the family was working on that. It was um, it was the townspeople. It was the masses that let him down. You know, the beaches are open. It's a sunny day. <laughs> Go sw- I mean, it was mm-hmm. another thing like that. You know, yeah. it was just the, the town. I, that's what I saw. It was like mm-hmm. the, the, the society, you know, failed him. And uh, th- that was the sadness is that he had to or felt that he had to leave. So if based on my film analysis paper, this is a movie about teenagers growing up and teen angst or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, does that mean that we... We raise, we create and raise children and we do not leave them well enough equipped for when they go out into the world. I got my own opinions, but I've been talking too much <laughs> for the last year. So I'm going to sit there. I'll let Dennis and Bo weigh in on that one. I've got my own opinions on that deal. Oh, now you got nothing to say. <laughs> I noticed that, huh? <laughs> I got plenty to say. I'm just letting you guys get in there first. What if we don't want to get in there? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so three questions. <laughs> so that's our show. <laughs> I'm, God's the host; he can dodge. He doesn't have to answer that question. Wow, I got, I got, I got my own opinion on that. So is it because I think, and I've read this in a couple of different places that one of the themes of this movie is the the fact that your main character is basically a teenager, basically a kid growing up. Um, so if one of the themes of the movie is the angst of being a teenager, 
um, and, and being surrounded by this weird adult world that isn't quite where you fit in. Um, if part of the story is that he was created and developed and was left unfinished by his parent and then sent out into the world and he had difficulty functioning because of how he was left, is that part of the story? I mean, is that, is that what, is that one thing we're supposed to take away from this is did Tim Burton think, and we're kind of trying to get into the head of the writer here, I guess. Did Tim Burton think as part of his message that maybe we don't prepare kids well enough for the outside world? Yeah, I, I think that I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll, 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 unless you guys have some, I'll jump right in there. But I mean, it's like, you know, I think it, it, it depends. I mean, do we fail kids for the outside world? There's going to be on the job training. Like there's only so much we can do, you know, you can't treat, teach a kid for every contingency, but you've got to teach, you've got to give them the ability to respond when whatever comes up. Right. That's I'd say from the kid's perspective, but moreover, I think, I think it's, I think what came through stronger in the movie was, Hey, we're all in this together. And if someone's in, if someone needs help, you got to put the hand out and help them. Right. You got to you've got to help them become a part of, you know, you got to help them fit in. And not that not that he needed any help, but he just needed to know his place. Like, where did he fit in? Right. And he needed and he needed a loving family to say, well, here's where you can fit in. Look at you trimming people's hair, grooming the pets, doing the bushes, doing the and then all the And then here's the, the morality tale I saw is that you get the masses that, okay, well, you know, the one tried to make the pass at him because, you know, she was all messed up and you could see what kind of a lifestyle she was living and that failed. So then she was going to try and get, you know, she was going to turn on him. You know, you've got the bully that you need to stand up to bullies, right? You need to stand up to bullies and that's it. And that guy was never stood up. And what happens? You know, he ends up, you know, completely going unhinged and, and, and becoming a huge problem that, kind of helped ruin the thing. So I think it's, I think what it more shows is how we have to guard against the negative aspects of society. Right. And, um, in a society that's quick to judge and quick to do the mob mentality. And, um, you know, you only saw a couple people that were outside of that, the police officer being one of them. Right. Um, yeah, in the end he's, well, and he he even hinted like, right, because the police officer was sitting there and saying, hey, you know, you don't quite fit in here or something like that. I'm, And it wasn't like I got my eye on you. It was like, hey, I'm going to be looking out for you. You hang in there. Right. And uh, almost as if he didn't quite fit in either, you know. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'll go ahead and say it. I mean, you know, I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying, man, because it was right there. I mean, oh, yeah, it was not subtle. Right. The question is, in 1990, was that more subtle than it is today? Well, maybe in 1990, you had to be more subtle because you couldn't put it out there like you could today. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't know, but I'm right there with you. Like, I, that's what I saw. So so there I, I went ahead and jumped on the I, I went and jumped into the. Uh, 
you know, jumped headfirst into the, into the question there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's that. Yeah. Parents can always like, I, well, as a parent, like you can always up your game and try to do better to prepare your kid. But the cynic side of me says you have to like the unfinished part is you got to prepare them for a society and a world that's, you know, is is going to be that is going to try to chew you up and spit you out and not understand you and not understand you. That's a flawed world. Yeah. So, like, I feel like he captures again. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm answering it exactly the way that I want to, but that whole idea of I think every team when you say a team growing up, I don't know if it's about the parents not necessarily preparing them, but again, you know, you have this view as a team, the world's you know it's world is your oyster type of thing and and you get out there and it can be disappointing and i think it captures some of that disappointment or disenchantment of um of this is this is the adults running this world this is what this is like so in a way he somewhat retreats from that world because he maybe doesn't want and i'm not saying he doesn't want to join it like he's running away but um i don't know it's, it's a it's a discipline there's a little bit of a letdown there and there are people out there who are um like you said i guess not necessarily on the side, but get it. But there's a lot of people who just don't, like the masses, like you're saying, that it's a disappointing feeling. I think a lot of teens go through that, where they, they, they think that anything is possible, and they have this innocence and this some sense of um, possibility. And then they, you see them 15, five years later, five, ten years later in their 20s, and it's, they've lost some of that. So they either had to give that up, or I don't know if that, that's part of the feeling of this, this film a little bit. I don't know. Not sure. It's a, it's a tough question. Yeah. And yeah. Do you guys get any of the uh, a little bit of Pinocchio and a little bit of uh, not Frankenstein? I mean, maybe Frankenstein, but like I don't know. I always think of those two stories as some similar parallels of you know even even I'll even go so far as young Frankenstein to say like you know he's created by you have this this, this kind of fatherly person who gives you in a degree life and then he loses you know, he loses you know Geppetto and mm-hmm. and then he gets lost a little bit and he's out there and then, I, don't, I don't know there's a, not saying it's a it's a copy of anything I'm saying there's a certain flavor of when you ask that question is he a, is he a you know you said he's a sentient being and I'm like it's yeah what is he I don't know yeah oh, there's definitely Pinocchio themes in there for sure I mean, at times you, you totally feel sorry for Frankenstein at times, mm-hmm. you know, like I do when I'm watching the movie, like, so you, you often feel for the monster who isn't really a monster. Like, like John said, often the people become more of the monster than what we perceive outwardly to be the monster. Well, and it's always, it's always easy to characterize someone that's just different as a monster. Yeah. You know? People try to exploit differences and then turn on differences. Yeah. And turn fast, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I, and I'm trying to, I, and I'm trying to remember why did they turn on him? I know the one gal turned on him because he ran away when she made the pass at him. Um, and then the bully was kind of, you know, he, he grabbed the kid to get him out of the way. Well, he was, uh, I mean, part of it was he was trying to manufacture kind of, um, you know, making it look like he had attacked the boy. Well, no, no, actually, no, he had not. Um, 
There was the arrest. They, they were they, dr- right. Well, they, yeah. you know, part of it, they tricked him into breaking into the house so that he could get, um, was it his dad's, I don't know, it was his dad's money. It was something else they were wanting. I, I forget that part of it, but breaking into the one kid's house because he wanted to steal something that belonged to his dad. And so that's why he ended up going to jail, you know, in that one scene. And then later on, it was just Anthony Michael Hall's character was jealous that Winona Ryder's character, you know, preferred Edward or at least was was kind to Edward. And being the bully, he just, you know, he couldn't abide that. So, um, you know, I think it was, he was, well, mainly they were, he was drinking and he and his buddy then hopped in the van, uh, to go after him. And as they were drunk and driving, the kid was, you know, running across the street or riding across the street and Edward jumped out there to save him. And in turn, when he saved him, he was like trying to get up and help him up. And his scissor hands kept cutting the boy. Um, yeah. and all the neighbors came out cause of all the commotion and they assumed that it was, you know, Edward attacking him. Um, right. and I think, I think at one of the, and I'm, I'm probably getting the time mixed up on these at one of the points too, he went to go or, or, um, Winona Ryder's character went to go, um, Oh no, no, that's what it was. He was doing the, the ice sculpture mm-hmm. and, she, and she came out and she was kind of dancing around the ice sculpture and he didn't, he was so focused on the sculpture. He didn't know she was there. And then he got startled. And he turned and I think he sliced her in the hand accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a combination of a whole bunch of different events where his, you know, his scissor hands caused problems that he did not intend to cause. And the people just saw that as him as a monster. Yeah. And that's why they all turned on him. She, she needed to speak up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a big letdown too. She needed, she just, she blew it, man. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and obviously she'd live with that her entire life because she didn't have the guts to go back up there and see him again. Right. You know, so, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that was part of the, that was part of the sadness with that is that, uh, yeah, that she did not speak up for him. Yeah. Well, there were, uh, before we get into our three questions, there were a couple things on the IMDb trivia page I was going to read off here. I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, we were talking about maybe kind of what was behind the, theme of the movie or, or, you know, what is, what was Tim Burton thinking? Uh, one of the things in here uh, said that the idea for the movie was inspired by a drawing Tim Burton had done when he was a teenager. The drawing depicted a thin, solemn man with long, sharp blades for fingers. Burton stated that he was often alone and had trouble retaining friendships. Quote, I get the feeling people just got this urge to want to leave me alone for some reason. I don't know exactly why. So clearly there's a little bit of loneliness there. You know, that's, you know, him as a teenager, that's how he felt. Um, you know, it's a, a drawing a, a character that he created to express whatever those feelings were of loneliness and not understanding why he had trouble making friends, keeping friends, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the other things in here. Uh, Tim Burton actually says, uh, although this isn't his, he said that this isn't his greatest film. He did say it is his favorite of all his films. Um, and that the score that Danny Elfman did for this one is the favorite of all of his soundtrack compositions. The favorite of Danny Elfman's or the favorite of Tim Burton's of Danny Elfman's? This is Tim Burton's favorite Danny Elfman composition. Well, it's just, it's just so fantastic. And that theme that starts out, that sounds like the first part of over the rainbow. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm singing way too high in my range. 
but that like that beautiful melody when it's played by anything other than my voice um i mean it's just haunting yeah. it's just and uh, there's an arrangement of the best of danny elfman's music uh, there was an album that came out called The Music for a Darkened Theater, and they actually did an arrangement of it that is accessible by middle school and some and, and high school students and, and that. And when you get to that part in the middle, it just plays so well, even with a middle school band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm not dissing the kids like those kids work hard and they yeah. can play and play in tune and all that. But I mean, it just sounds and plays so well, mm-hmm. so naturally. And it's... Um, it's breathtaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just great theme. Um, yeah. Did you play that a few years ago? We did. We do. We try Like, I think every couple of years it comes out around Halloween. Mm-hmm. It'll, uh, we'll, we'll pull it out and the kids, cause the kids all want to play through it, you yeah. know, and it's got everything. Tales from the crypt, Beetlejuice, um, um, this, um, I can't think of the other tunes that are in there. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of the other tunes that are in there. Anyways, um, it, it's just just beautiful music. John Williams! Great. Now we got to do the rest of this thing with Danny Elfman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I watched Blue Harvest the other day, and I just... <laughs> that's Blue? the The Blue? Family Guy Star Wars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. He gets to the scene where he goes back to the, the Lars homestead and he sees the smoking bodies there. And uh, earlier in there, um, he had been staring out at the sunsets and all of a sudden he kind of looks off to the side and he goes, John Williams. And the, was it the Boston pops orchestra or whatever it was? And, yeah. and he turns to the side and there's an entire orchestra there being conducted by John Williams. And, and they finish the binary sunset theme. And he's like, play the song from people's court. And then they start the dun, 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 they play that whole thing. And so then later on in the movie, when he goes racing back to find the charred bodies of uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, it's like, Uncle Owen, Aunt Beru. And he looks off to the side and you see the charred bodies of the entire orchestra and John Williams. And he's like, no, John Williams. Great. Now we got to finish this thing with Danny Elfman. Owen? Aunt Beru? Oh, my God. John Williams! Great. Now we gotta do the rest of this thing with Danny Elfman. That's another thing. He has that little, like, romp em, stomp em kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if polka feel or whatever. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, I'm going to say that that um, listen to the uh, soundtrack show, uh, mm-hmm. D- David W. Collins, and he does a whole history of Danny Elfman music. Yeah. Um, and he talks about the Oingo Boingo mm-hmm. and then cursor, the mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, which, man, that is some out <laughs> stuff. But but you could listen to it and it's like, oh, well, that's where he gets all these ideas, you know? Yeah, and it's uh, it's cool. All right. And last thing I want to mention here before we go into our three questions is the original draft of this movie had it as a musical. Oh, wow. Huh. I'm, I'm, I, I, well, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do it. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I'd be interested to see it as a musical. I, I feel like Nightmare uh, Before Christmas is just fine. You know, yeah. leave leave that alone. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be curious, you know, like I'd be curious, like see a st- see a stage adaptation of mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, boy, you know, the, the guy that I think could really speak to that isn't here tonight. So that's mm-hmm. Jeff. If you're listening, please call the love line. Um, maybe we should text him and have him call the love line. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like there's such emotional parts of this movie that like a song thrown in there at those scenes, I think could be, could be pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't know. I was, like I said, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with John on this one. Oh, about I'm the, with John yeah. on this one. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thrilled. I mean, in post, if you saw it, like, you know, now age production or something like that, but the original. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a musical guy. I'm not sure. That I mean, who's going to, is, is that we're going to break out in the song? I don't know. Well, yeah, the, I think it loses some of its balls or yeah. gravitas if you start singing with the edge. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you. that's a better, that's a better word. <laughs> you know, well, I, I mean, I don't, want to, you know, I don't know. Like sometimes every, like I, and again, it would be great to have Jeff here. And I know, Jeff, you know, and I appreciate a good musical and me and my daughter have had this, 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 you know, conversation about, she loves musicals and she was actually, it's, you know, it's interesting. Like, um, some kids are, are, um, are, are afraid to reveal, <laughs> reveal things, you know, to their parents. And, and her love of musicals uh, was one of those things that she's like, I just never said anything. And I'm like, so you like musicals? And she's like, yeah. And, and I like, I like certain musicals. I just don't like every musical out there. And I don't think everything should be musical. I think of Monty Python where the guy's going to break in a song. No, 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 no. No, no song. Stop singing. Stop singing in, in the, in the uh, Holy Grail. Um, but, but she, uh, yeah, so she loves musicals. And, and, and there's not, and again, Jeff loves musicals, but Pat, it sounds like you love musicals and I do too. I just don't think this movie would work as it. I don't know what song and who's singing. I mean, maybe Winona Ryder gets a good song in there. Um, well, what is, is, do you seriously see Edward Scissorhands singing anything? Well, see, now that's the thing is that, and, and I don't want to, again, listening audience, I don't want to put words in Jeff's mouth. I don't want it to assume, like, he might be the first to say, no, don't do that. You know, he's not here. We can put whatever in it. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, now. <laughs> um, the, 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 there's, the, yeah, I'm just, okay. So I, I wouldn't want to change because I and I think that that would be the first thing. Like, I wouldn't want to take this out and replace it with something else. If anything, I would want to see I I'd be curious to see, like, what would a stage adaptation of this be? You know, like I, that 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 had piqued my curiosity. And you're right. Like, I think, you know, I tend to think, you know, like your first gut reaction would be, um your, your gut reaction would be, okay, is it, is it going to be something like, you know, like light kind of a very Broadway esque, like we're all dancing, you know, like it's just happy songs and dancing and all that. And it's no, but you know, there's a lot of shows that, I mean, you look at something like Hamilton that just blew the doors off of everything. Cause that was something no one had really even seen or thought of before. So I would be curious what this would look like, you know, if there was a song, and what kind of music would you use? I mean, 
Cut that out, cut that out. <laughs> You're marine princess looking. So you better get used to the idea. God. <laughs> and no singing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and again, I guess I come back to like, it seems like most musicals, the main character has a song. Mm-hmm. I guess I just can't get past the, the silence of Edward Scissorhands is such a big part of it that I feel him breaking out into a song somewhere destroys that kind of mysteriousness of what's going on in his head and this revealed in song now. And, 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 and I don't know. Maybe I always think, and again, I'm not a musical person in terms of breaking them down, but I often feel like, you know, when, it, when the main character of a, of a musical gets a song, it's kind of letting us into that inner world of what's going on, like what they're feeling at that moment, they break out into the song. And I feel like not having it spelled out through a song is the way to go with Edward Scissor's hands. I don't know. That's just, I guess, my, I don't know. Well, maybe that's the show. Joseph, Joseph, you know, Amazing Technical. There's always that song. There's those powerful moments. And I'm like, I just don't feel it fits him. You can have other people sing, I guess, but then it's just, I don't know. Well, and that's probably why he waited until Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. You know, because I, you know, if, if Edward is the same type of character as Jack in Nightmare Before Christmas, then I would imagine you'd get the same type of, I mean, maybe not Christmas themed, but you get the same type of songs you get from the Jack character in Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, and that would presuppose maybe Edward Scissorhands never has a song. You know, maybe it's everyone else singing again. I, I don't know. And, and you'd have to. If you did a stage adaptation, you would have to change things, you know, in terms of scenery and and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. If I they, don't know. And if they did Edward his Scissorhands Jr., they'd have to use safety scissors. Yes. The little blunt ones. <laughs> I'd, I'd pay to see that. All right. Uh, are we ready for three questions? <laughs> yes. All right. Three questions. I'm just going to yeah. say, I no, just, no. I just, I just Googled it. Edward Scissorhands is a contemporary dance adaptation of the 1990 uh, film Edward Scissorhands. The story is told entirely through music and dance with no discourse, although the plot is similar to the movie. Huh. Premiered in five. Okay. So that, that's like completely different. Mm-hmm. And now for something completely different. And when was it? When was it made? Five. I don't know. And we haven't heard of it. Maybe there's a reason. There's probably a reason yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> we, none of us knew that. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a reason. Mm. Yeah, I'm not trash, Jim. I'm just saying. I don't know. I just, I, 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 it's worth a try for the people who love musicals and are having the exact same hey, thought-provoking hey, hey. question that John posed. But. I'm just saying some people need mainstream media to tell them what to like. Some people like to find the stuff that's a little more artsy and hidden. It's all, you know, what you like. Now it's time for three questions. (laughs) (laughs) He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room 
is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. There are on occasions where you guys have like, you've said, John, I always appreciate the way that you're able to like get us back on track and you know, like very subtly just like take the, and there are other times where I'm just like, nope. The awesome <laughs> It's like, <laughs> and now I'd like to thank, and then the music cues. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Question number one, if you had to replace your hands with a tool or utensil of some kind, what would you choose? I mean, there's my boomstick. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has to at least consider. You're going to replace both of your hands with shotguns? No, but you got to think about it for a well. minute. <laughs> I do one shotgun, one chainsaw, because maybe, I don't yeah. know. Okay. All right. Well, one gosh. Oh, see, I was thinking you you replace both of your hands with the same utensil. Uh, I mean, he has scissor hands on both hands, so. All right, fair enough. I'm going to say a spork. Okay. There you go. You and I were kind of along the same lines. I, I said a garden trowel. Mm, because then I feel like that's, you know, if you needed, you could defend yourself with it. You could also do some gardening. You could also scoop up some pie. <laughs> and just like in 2020, you got to keep your hand sanitizer handy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bo, if you want a shotgun and, and uh, chainsaw, you can you can totally ash it up. And no, that's probably a little too much. When has that ever stopped us? That's fair. Mm-hmm. Those pads. You know, hat, the Millennium Falcon is not a utensil. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say that. Um, uh, I was going to ask, can you say like, you know, the robotic hand that Luke Skywalker gets, or is that too on the nose? Does it have to be? That's too, yeah, that's, that's, that's too handy. Okay. And I can't, it's got to be, uh, yeah, well well played there. uh, Mm -hmm. Well played. Um, And, and it, it, does it have to be like realistic or can I say like Mega Man's like blaster? I mean, I, I guess you could. If you want to, okay. live, if you want to live in a fantasy world, uh, that's totally fine. You can, I, I was going to recommend one for I you. I went and by just, utensil, so that's why I was limited to my, yeah. Yeah. I, then honestly, what I would say is like, when you look at people that have, um, uh, you know, lost their hand, you know, they've got kind of that, that claw hand thing that mm-hmm. looks like the hook and everything like that, that's functional. I'd probably do with that. So, you know, you can still water ski, hold on to a motorcycle handlebar, um, you know, that's that's probably what I would shoot for. Honestly, I mean, I was uh, I was racking my brain for something, but I I just want something functional. Right, for as much as you fall asleep, I was going to recommend you replace your hands with pillows. I could I could replace my hands just, with pillows. Those aren't pillows. Those aren't pillows. Where's your <laughs> other hand? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All yeah. right. Uh, question number two. If Edward came to your house and trimmed your hedges, what shapes would you have him use? Oh, I want uh, the Simpsons. I had uh, I had a little bit of trouble narrowing this down between either like astronomical shapes, like galaxies, planets, mm-hmm. things like that, uh, or ships from sci-fi movies. So, Pat, oh, you, you could cool. you could have the topiary Millennium Falcon. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. The Millennium Ficus. Millennium Ficus. <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm so freaking lately. And now I'm putting in that request to the botanic garden. <laughs> I'd have, I'd have motorcycles. I know that's not much, but I'd mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of race bikes and various, you know, leaned over going around corners, all that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah. That's acceptable. I think, 
I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just honestly, I thought first thing was White Sox logo and then uh, a bunch of animals. That's all. Aren't those the nice. same thing? What? Isn't that yeah. the same thing? Yeah. White Sox and a bunch of animals? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. Okay. Yep. Okay. Jose Abreu, Abreu uh, MVP. All right. Yep. Uh-huh. Man, it, never mind. I'm not going <laughs> to. Not gonna start on Tony La Russa, not today. Yeah, you maybe tomorrow. <laughs> I would just wait to see how the year goes, you know? Sure. Sure, let's let's wait and see. Okay. <laughs> Fine with that. We'll have a drink we'll have a drink afterwards. <laughs> but well, yeah. In that, Amen. <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> yes. All right. Hey, what happened to the uh forgiveness, you know? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, question number three. <laughs> Here we go. He asks each traveler five questions. Okay. This podcast could go from Edward Scissorhands to baseball. Mm-hmm. Question number three: What children's story or fairy tale would you like to see Tim Burton adapt? So we've talked about this one kind of being like a fairy tale. If he was to take some other fairy tale whether that's one of those really weird, creepy, obscure ones, which is what I chose, or if you had some other children's story or fairy tale, what would you be interested to see Tim Burton adapt? Hansel and Gretel. Oh, yeah, Hansel and Gretel. That was on my short list. Yep. It was on there. It's a good one. Talk about somebody who could just sink their teeth into that one. I see what you did there. Thanks. I appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone else? Did that? I I didn't think that one was half baked. Oh, mm. and there it is. There, see, you know, Bo, the children are our future, <laughs> or dinner. <laughs> <laughs> marinate them. Marinate them well. <laughs> Let them lead the way <laughs> into the oven. Mm-hmm. Wow, December 1990 took a dark turn. <laughs> yes. Yes, it did. We talked all about this movie being like sweet and pure and heartbreaking. We're talking about eating children. Again, mm. only this podcast can mm-hmm. make the, mm-hmm. the leaps that we do. It's it's a modest proposal. All right. Well, I have a weird, like quirky one that you guys probably haven't even heard of before. I, I just decided, let's just Google some of the more obscure brothers Grimm stories and let's see what we can find that sounds like it would be just twisted enough that Tim Burton's take on it would be a little fun. Uh, so the one that I found that was just weird enough and just fun enough is called Hans, my hedgehog. Uh-huh. Hans, color, does he have a brother named Franz? Color you intrigued and they are here to pump you up. Yeah. Um, Boy. So here is the, uh, here's the description of this one. A woman gives birth to a human hedgehog hybrid who plays the bagpipes and rides around on a chicken. See, I was already intrigued at that point. He always does that. (laughs) After Hans rescues a king who's lost in the woods, the king promises promises him the first thing he sees when they return to his kingdom as thanks, which turns out to be his daughter, but cons him out of the deal by taking advantage of his illiteracy. Hans later manages to rescue a second king who makes the exact same deal. When Hans returns to claim the first king's daughter, she refuses him, so he strips her naked and stabs her repeatedly with his quills, Ted Bundy style. 
Then he marries the second king's daughter and she sheds and he sheds his hedgehog skin, transforming him into a handsome man. Now, I'm thinking of this one as being a PG-13 for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah. But it's a weird, weird story. I was mostly just intrigued by the first sentence. A woman gives birth to a human hedgehog hybrid who plays the bagpipes and rides around on chicken, as you do. Had me at bagpipes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The chicken was just bonus. So, yeah, that'd be mine. The chicken might even be a little excessive. Well, so Mm. that would be mine. Hans, my hedgehog. Hans, my hedgehog. Hans, my little hedgehog. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know if I, I know fairy tales well enough. Like I'm going to the list, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm Wikipediaing like fairy tales and, and stuff. And I, I, but I feel like that's kind of like uh, disingenuous. It's like, I, I just don't know the fairy tales. Oh, you know what fine. I'm saying? Yeah. You, you do like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Cinderella. You can do any of those. I'm going to come up with uh, the one that I, like I did a little bit of what John did. Uh, I, had to dig and I was trying to see something a little more obscure that I hadn't heard of. So I do have two. One people have heard of, and that's going to be Rumpelstiltskin. All right. Um, Ooh, that was one. the more popular one, Rumpelstiltskin. And then I did kind of dig and I looked at some other ones like what you were doing. Um, you know, I kind of went and was trying to find some obscure one. There's something called The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. And it says, this magnificent new edition of Oscar Wilde's beloved fairy tale tells the story of a selfish giant who built a wall around his beautiful garden to keep children out. It was always winter in the garden, for no season would rich, would venture there. Um, then one day, oh, one second, sorry. Then one day, a special child brought spring back, and the giant's heart melted along with the snow. Now, there would obviously have to be a story within there that is, is, is you know, is, you know, more to it. And I think that Tim Burton can, might have, fun kind of adding to that story just even the worlds of like this it's always winter and changing of seasons and there's kind of a little heartwarming sort of thing to it and it could be also somewhat sinister at first there's a giant i don't know i just that would that was i thought maybe that might be one that might be an interesting world for him to play with yeah that's cool nice i guess i'd be that guy and just say another one on your own you know just because like that seemed to really work for him with this you know what I'm saying? Like, I know that wasn't the nature of the question, but that was unique. I, I guess the only one that I would think of without, you know, going to the list. Uh, and I this is a fairy tale, but there's a poem about Tam O'Shantner. And they wrote uh, a band piece of music written off. Of Tam O'Shantner was living, I think it, it was Scottish. And uh, he was at the pub and had a little bit much to eat or to eat to drink and then got on his horse to ride home and pass this uh, graveyard where like all the ghosts and goblins were having a party. So they chased him down the road and it's like this big adventure. So I, um, I don't know, I guess I wouldn't mind like that would be the only unique one that would come to mind other than, you know what I'm saying? But that that's kind of like outside the question, kind of off the beaten path. So I wish I had more. I, I know I need to know my fairy tales better. And you brought but, it. It was it was Scottish. So that's acceptable. That would be well yeah. received. More than acceptable. Well, that's going to do it for Edward Scissorhands. Um, 
If you want to check out our website, 30podcast.com, that's got all the different ways that you can see, find, um, you know, older episodes of the show. You can rate the show. You can see other people's ratings of the show. You can jump onto our Patreon page and join us there and become a co-executive producer of the show. Um, but uh, it leave us a voicemail if you'd like to. Uh, but yeah, we got coming up. Um, let's see. Next week is going to be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And then following that will be Pump Up the Volume, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, at some point during December, probably about middle of this month, um, I believe the one that we're going to be doing for our Patreon exclusive will be The Sure Thing from 1985, John Cusack movie. And then in January, we've got Heroes Month, starting us off in 91 with The Rocketeer, Double Impact, Backdraft, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, and our January Patreon exclusive. Uh, it's a movie that is hitting its 40th anniversary next year. It was one of my favorites when I was a kid, um, and uh, my kids want to watch this, so selfishly, I put this in as our first Patreon exclusive for January, uh, as Clash of the Titans. Ah, nice. So... Hey, you mentioned the Rocketeer. Was the old man, or what? The old man was the dad in this one. PV, the uh, mm -hmm. his buddy, the engineer. Okay, yep. I thought yeah. from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that was, and I did not remember that. Like, I didn't remember him being in this movie. And the the moment I saw him, like that's PV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Um, another fun episode. Another fun movie. Thank you, John. As always. Yeah. All right, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we will see you back here next week for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Or is it Guildenstern and Rosencrantz are dead? It's good. I, one of them is one. I don't. They're both dead. I don't know. We'll flip a coin and we'll figure it out. We'll see you back here next week.